All right, I got to remember what I said here. Clear prop. All right, welcome to a live edition of Behind the Prop featuring flight school owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss and his co-host, designated pilot examiner and major airline captain, Mr. Wally Mulhern. Give it up for a live edition of Behind the Prop. Woo! Thank you, thank you. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bo- hey Bobby, how are you? We start every show that way. Uh, good to see you. We're going to invite our guests in, Miss Wanda Collins, close friend of mine and a designated pilot examiner and a captain for United Airlines, and Mr. Pat Brown, another friend of mine, and our uh, You Can Fly ambassador uh, from the AOPA. They're going to both join us, and we're going to answer y'all's questions. So, Wally, we do this every week, week in, week out. Y'all can have a seat if you want. Uh, I think we have, we've had Pat on the show. This is Wanda's first of many appearances, hopefully. Um, what do people ask you about the show? What do people, when you meet people or you're talking to applicants, what do they ask you about the show? It, it, it's funny now that, I, where, that we're doing this show, um, it's not really unusual for me to walk into a check ride and somebody say, oh, you're the podcast guy. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was never intended to, I, I don't know what we had in mind when we started it. I don't know what I had in mind, but it has taken off. I think it's been really good. Um, the, the comments have been nothing but positive. Um, you know, we get a lot of suggestions of things. People want to know, um, um, you know, and, and as an examiner, I thought people would want to know how to pass a check ride, but that's not what they're asking. They're asking how to more safely fly an airplane. Yep. And, and that's exactly what we wanted, because this is not how to pass a check ride. This is how to safely fly an airplane. That's right, and I think that safety is the big part of it. You know, I thought we thought we would have 100 listeners maybe. Um, it's definitely grown well beyond that, and uh, it's exciting every day that we, we know people are listening and probably learning a little bit something that our guests are passing along. Uh, I just get to play color all the time with Wally answering everyone's questions. So with that... Let's ask some questions of these designated pilot examiners. And if you'll start thinking of your questions, I'll come see them. I want to ask Pat a question. Uh, Pat, you were on the show. You do many webinars and podcasts and those sorts of things. What would be a resounding question that you get on a regular basis from from people on your webinars and podcasts? Oh, there's so many of them. I'm not not really sure. Um, When they find out I'm a DPE, oftentimes they'll... They'll, they'll go into those kind of things. Uh, uh, they'll ask, uh, um, uh, you know, what typically goes wrong in a check ride? It's basically lack of preparation. It really is that simple. It's lack of preparation. You don't come with all the paperwork the way it's supposed to be. The things aren't signed. Logbooks aren't tabbed. That kind of stuff. You know, they want to know what questions I'm going to ask. I'm not going to tell them that. <laughs> well, we did a show on that. There is an op- this is an open book test. There's something called the ACS. That's right. You know all the questions that are going to be asked or could be asked yeah. uh, right there in the ACS. Um, Wanda, you've given, I'm going to assume, almost 500 or more check rides at this point. And who was your best applicant of all time? Definitely you, Bobby. Yay! <laughs> Wanda has, Wally gave me a check ride. I'm going to have to just retake a check ride, Pat, so you can give me one. But um, I took my instrument with Wally, and I took my commercial and my multi-engine commercial with Miss Wanda. And uh, they were both gracious to me on those rides. Um, Wanda, you, this is your first podcast, I believe. That's right. But Wanda has actually been on Good Morning America, many other TV shows. 
Uh, she's quite famous in the media, but she won't tell you that. Uh, how did, what were you doing in flying 30 years ago? I was a student pilot and um, probably working on all my ratings 30 years so ago. So she was just like all of us at one point as well. Actually, I was an instructor 30 years ago. 30 years ago, she was an instructor. I'm trying to get my instructor certificate, but it's taking longer than I wanted it to. Um, were you an acrobatic pilot? Yes, I uh, did acrobatics and competition and air shows. Yeah, so if you really want something interesting, go search for Wanda Collins acrobatics and see what videos you can find on the internet. Uh, there's, there's some pretty good stuff out there. Um, let's have y'all ask questions. Who has a question for the DPEs? Come on. There we go. Here we go. Uh, Tony Bradford, I'm just wondering, what is the difference between a check ride? Is there a, a big difference between a check ride and a biannual review when you come up for your biannual review? Yeah, it, there is. First of all, you cannot, you can't fail a biennial review or a flight review. You can't fail it. You can fail to pass it, but it's it's not a failure. So if someone comes in to do their their flight review, and it in well, f another difference is first of all, a CFI can give a flight review, where a designated examiner has to do a um, a check ride. So a flight review, any CFI can give you a flight review, and um, you know if the CFI deems that after spending half a day with you that you're not ready to go fly your family around, uh, you simply do not get the endorsement. You, there's no failure of it, if that makes sense. Where with a with a check ride, um, yeah, you can if you do not meet the standard, you'll get a, a notice of disapproval. So that's um, and, but, but the other main thing is a CFI can do the flight review and an examiner. Because, uh, you know, in Houston, I, I don't know how many CFIs we have in Houston, but hundreds, maybe, maybe, maybe a thousand, I don't know. There, but there's hundreds of CFIs in the Houston area. I think there's about 12 DPs. Nine, nine, we've got nine DPs in Houston. All right, who's got another question? All right, we'll start up here so I don't have to take so many steps. Yeah, so that brings up a good point. What's the best way to schedule a DPE? Because I tell you, about a year and a half ago before this whole thing started, it was like winning the lottery. I was sending everybody, and I've communicated with all of you guys. Yeah, you it's... it's um, He's still waiting, by the way. <laughs> I, 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 don't know, I don't know if it's fair to say there's a shortage of examiners. I know I, everybody... We're basically independent contractors. We do not work for the FAA. We, so we all schedule our own way. I know what my policy is. My policy is I don't schedule more than about two weeks out. And the reason being is if I've got a check ride scheduled today, if let's say I'm, I've scheduled six weeks out. Let's say I've scheduled through the end of June. And if I have a check ride today with you and it's a bad weather day, um, I don't think it's fair to you to say, well, I can get you in maybe July 8th you know, you're going to have to wait another seven weeks. So for that reason, my philosophy is not scheduled more than about two weeks out. So that way, if we do get weathered out, I could say, well, I, you know, I can get you in June 1st. Um, but I'll, I'll pass the mic and let, let these guys um, embellish on that. I, I do it a little bit differently. I'll go a little bit further out than that. But I, I typically leave two or three days a week open. 
um, on, on any given week for the same reason. Uh, I've got, I think, four check rides scheduled next week, but I think we're going to have a rain out for three or four of those days next week, so what are we going to do? We've got to reschedule them. So again, like Wally, it's not fair to make you wait another six or eight weeks for a ride. But you're right, there's a shortage, and you know we're trying to address that, but there's only so much we can do. Uh, for me, the best way to schedule with me is to shoot me a text message with your name and your FTN number and a little bit about yourself, like are you ready to go or what date are you hoping for, um, if you can come to me or not, or if I need to go to you, uh, what kind of plane and just stuff like that because if you don't give me information about yourself like if you're flexible uh, if you can go any day or what it's just too hard for me to try to figure out like how to fit you in text messages are best for me because I have a like a there's a log of what was said and stuff so that's helpful I would say the more information you can give on that initial contact the better I um, it's not unusual for, I'll get a text message and say, hey, Wally, I'm looking for a check ride next week. Can you do it? And I say, actually, you know, Tuesday afternoon just opened up. Yeah, I'm available. What are we looking for? He says, well, I'm, I'm in Seattle, Washington, and um, I'm going to take my written on next Thursday, and if I pass, I'll be ready to go on Monday. I go, oh, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Houston. I'm not, I'm not going to Seattle. Um, so, you know, as, as Wanda said, the more you can give us. Yeah, yeah personally, I prefer email. Uh, for, the, but same, for the same reason you do, Wanda, it's, easier, it's easy to track, and there's a, there's a written record of it. But typically, if I get a text, I'll refer them to my website, shamelessplughoustondpe.com. And I know you've got one, too, Wally, right? Now, do you, Wanda? Okay, well, plug yours. Mine's hard, wallymulherndpe.com. And mine's just my name as well. If you Google my name, Wanda Collins, it'll pop up the website. So, And usually you end up having to get a hold of me anyway just to figure it out. So, <laughs> anyway. Uh, this is probably for the entire panel. Um, I'm sure you all have seen quite a few number of applicants. Um, and somebody mentioned earlier, it should be more about training safe pilots rather than passing check rides. So my question is, uh, from the applicants that you've seen, are there areas of whether knowledge or practical that you see applicants consistently coming up short um, that uh, you just feel would make better pilots? I, I feel that systems knowledge is usually not the greatest. Um, and we, we've talked about this on previous episodes, um, and I think people coming up today are, are just victims of their environment. And what I mean by that is you can safely drive a car for a long time without ever opening the hood. You really can. Um, and you, you could make the argument about an airplane that maybe you could do that, but not, maybe not so much. It's, it, when you get into um, situations where things aren't going right, having that systems knowledge really comes into play, and we're required to test it. We're required to ask about three different systems 
on an airplane. And so, um, you know, in a 172, there's not a whole lot of systems. So um, it's not that hard to actually get in and kind of uh, understand a little bit of what's going on. Um, you know, uh, two cylinders per spark plug. There, I mean, that's a very basic concept. Um, uh, two magnetos, how many magnetos power each spark plug, that kind of stuff. Um, but I would say, um, I would say that. I would say systems knowledge, but I'll pass it on to these guys. Well, systems is one, but weather is another. You don't have to be a meteorologist, but it, it, having a good basic understanding of highs and lows and, and frontal boundaries and things like that, we're, we're, we're supposed to test that too. And, and one that's, that's fairly new is, is really just a lack of understanding of the onboard weather products that we have, ADSB in, XM, it's in the ACS. We're supposed to ask about that stuff, yet almost every time I ask a question about that, it's a deer-in-the-headlights look. One of the areas that I find a lot of weakness is um, when the student is doing hood work, um, where you're making um, put the hood on and then turn to headings and climb and descend. The students are they're usually doing really good. But they're banking, the bank, uh, bank angle's about 20 to 30 degree bank, and it's way over the standard rate turn. And, um, but they're, they're rolling out on the heading, they're doing everything like they're supposed to do, but they're just banking way too steep. So I usually uh, ask them, like, hey, what, what's a standard rate turn? And so most students don't understand the concept of a standard rate turn. And I try to uh, get them to understand that, look, if you're in the clouds or in bad visibility as a non-instrument rated pilot, you're in an emergency situation. And so you should bank as little as possible. So um, there's that. And then the other thing that they tend to be really weak on is on their short field landings, they don't understand the concept of needing to come in a little bit slower when they're landing on a short runway, just so that they don't have so much energy to carry them down the runway. So those are two areas that I think they could work on. Yeah, I think Wally and I joke about this on some of our shows where we, we all land on 4,000-plus-foot runways. We don't know what landing on a 900-foot runway with a 50-foot obstacle really is like. Um, land at Wanda's house, and you'll find out exactly what that's really like. Um, Nick, you have a question? Hopefully it's okay if the voice of the podcast asks a question. Um, Pat, I had my private check ride with you. We were just talking about it. I found myself the night before surprisingly really nervous, and then that morning I was even more nervous. <laughs> you were very disarming when we met and stuff, and of course it kind of just took off from there, but I wonder if you have any stories of really nervous students that you guys have seen and maybe some things that you do to calm them down a little bit. Yeah, I, I would say most people are nervous. Um, it, it's a big day. It is a really big day. Um, for us, it's another day at the office, but for the applicant, I mean, it, it's a big day. Um, I very, you know, I remember bits and pieces of my check rides. My check rides were a long time ago, so I have slept a lot between then and now. So, um, but I do, I do remember some things. I remember some of the things I said. I can remember uh, on a check ride. The, the, this is with the FAA. This is actually a Part 135 check ride. Uh, the, the FAA examiner looked at me. He said, okay, 
you did a really good job. I'm going to ask you one more question. And if you know it, we're going to go fly. If you don't know it, we'll have to do some more. And my anxiety level went through the word. He says, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me everything you know about that word. And, and I said, okay. He said, skatana. And I said, say that again? He said, skatana. And I... I didn't know what to say. I mean, I, I had nothing. I had nothing. I, I, so, it starts with an S. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going, I don't even know, S-C-A-T-A-N-A. Well, what SCATANA is, it's an acronym for, for um, what the FAA was going to do in case the Russians attacked. They were going to shut down all the VORs, and basically it was security. I, I, I think the S stood for security. Anybody know what's Skatana? Okay. But anyway, and, and I am just sitting there just freaking out, and then he just busted out laughing. He said, oh, let's go fly. So that, that, that broke the – but I, I have had, I've had um, people on check rides get sick on check rides. I mean, uh, I carry six sacks, and I've, I've used them. And we continued. One, one young man, I mean, he got really sick, and he filled up a bag – and it may have gotten dropped out of the window or may not. I don't know what really happened to it. But I said, do we need to go back and discontinue? He said, no, I'm good now. I'm good now. I went, okay. So we went and did some more maneuvers, and then we're back in the pattern. We're doing our landings. And last landing, soft field landing to a full stop, we're coming in, and at about 1,000 feet, he just says, you got to take it. And I took the airplane, and um, he used another six-sack. That's why you always have more than one. And uh, I, I, so I flew the airplane down the runway at about 800 feet, and I, I could see a CFI down there looking. He's probably thinking, oh, my gosh, what is going on? And then I, I, I said to the guy, I said, we got one more. We, we, we got one more. He goes, all right, I'm good now. I can do it. So we landed, and he said, he says, can this be like Vegas? What happens in the airplane stays in the airplane. I said, absolutely, absolutely. I am not telling anybody. So I go in the room. I'm processing his paperwork. Then his, his CFI comes in. He goes, well, I heard he got sick. I said, I thought, I thought we were going to keep that quiet. But anyway, but I'll let these guys talk. Now, you know, when, when I, I mean, yeah, they're nervous. There's, I mean, sometimes it's palpable. But uh, basically, I just tell them, look, uh, I've been on your side of the table, not like these guys, because these guys have to do it every several months. I mean, I've been on that side of the table maybe 12 times in my life. I remember what it was like most recently, three or four years ago, when I got my seaplane rating. And even though I knew the examiner, it's a friend of mine. As soon as he puts on the FAA hat, it's like, oh, oh my God, he, you know, here we go. But I, t I tell them, look, you're not going to have a perfect oral. And you're not going to have a perfect check ride, but that's not the standard. The, the, the book says that you can't consistently exceed the standards. It doesn't say that you can't exceed the standards. So, you know, just try to relax a little bit and realize that we're not looking for perfection. We're really not. We're just looking for you to be safe. And that goes really any check ride. Um, I see people every day. They're really, really nervous. And I try to just small talk with them for 10 or 15 minutes to, um, you know, get them to loosen up a little bit. 
Um, and then in the airplane, um, they usually will do something right away, like they'll forget to pull the chocks or something. Hopefully I don't miss it. But usually something that works for me is I'll tell them something that I actually did on one of my check rides, which I forgot to untie the tail of the plane, and the examiner just screamed at me. Um, it was, I was waiting on the examiner to show up uh, to help me push the plane back so I could uh, unhook it because it was a multi-engine. But anyway, it, it helps them to just see that it happens and that the examiners are, we're on your side. You know, we want you to pass. Um, and so things are going to happen. So I usually just help them out a little bit by telling them something that happened to me. Uh, I got a question that just came to me, and y'all raise your hands after this one if you have a question, and I'll come to you. But um, when I was a student pilot, and I flew with a few different CFIs, I always would ask them, what was, what's been the scariest moment for you as a CFI? What, what's the one time you were really, really concerned, meaning a student puts you in a bad situation? Surely on check rides, you guys have seen your own moments of uh, uncertainty and doubt. Why don't you share one of those moments with us? Not too long ago, I actually thought we were going to crash, <laughs> which is really bad. That uh, was not my yeah. check ride. <laughs> yeah. But uh, some airports have trees close to the runway. Anyway, we hit a severe downdraft, and um, I wasn't sure the applicant was going to react quick enough, so I had to completely take over and uh, make sure we didn't uh, hit. I mean, we were sinking really fast, but that, things happen quite often. Yeah, two, two things with me come to mind. I, um, I did take an airplane on, on landing one time. Uh, it was a pretty significant crosswind. And um, I, I believe if I had not, we would have gone off to the, the grass. And I remember coming in and telling the flight school owner, I said, well, I got good that, news. That was my plane. Okay. I wasn't going to say that. I said, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is... We didn't crash your airplane. The bad news is we almost crashed your airplane. Um, probably the, the, the lumpiest I ever got in my throat on a check ride was we were doing a, an engine out scenario for a, you know emergency landing. And uh, we're lining up and we're coming into a field and we were down pretty low and I said, you know, and, we're, and we were set up. It, it was going to work. Uh, you know, we were going to be able to put this airplane in this field and, and most likely walk away unhurt. And um, I said, okay, let's go around. And rather than adding power, uh, the flaps went from full flaps to no flaps. And that airplane just... Um, so I, I'm not sure what came out of my mouth, but it was probably things I shouldn't have said. And, uh, you know, we got the power in, and, um, and that didn't, didn't turn out too well at the end of the day. But I've only had to take over the airplane a couple of times. One was in Sugarland about a year ago, and we had a pretty stout crosswind. And I was really expecting the, the applicant to say, let's discontinue because this is a little bit beyond my capability. But he was bound to turn with 17 years old, you know, when we're all young and stupid like that, you know, we're bulletproof. And, uh, and if I hadn't taken over the airplane, we would have been somewhere at the base of the tower in the grass at Sugarland. Um, I had another guy uh, at West Houston about a year ago or so. 
And we were doing our takeoffs and landings, you know, our soft field and short field stuff, right at the tail end of the check ride. And he'd done reasonably well. It was, he was kind of marginal in some things, but he'd done reasonably well. Um, but uh, I said, okay, let's go ahead and do our, our last takeoff. And he pulls out on the runway before the airplane that landed before us had cleared the runway and applied the throttle and starts rolling down the runway. There's still an airplane on the runway. And I said, why are we taking off with that airplane down there? And he, he panicked, and he yanked back on the controls, and we take off way before we were supposed to, and then he banks hard to the left, and we head over towards that Vietnamese temple on the left-hand side of the field. And, I mean, oh, my goodness, that, that, was, that was exciting. Did someone ask how to fail a check ride? Because that was three real good examples right there. Another question over here. Well, I actually, I actually have two questions. One, when you have to take over the yoke in an emergency situation, is that an automatic failure? And the second one is, um, have you ever told somebody, no, I'm not going to fly, you're just too dangerous, put the plane back down? Um, first, quest, first question, um, you know, like with, with the young man who got sick, um, I did have to take over the controls, and um, uh, he did not fail the check ride, okay? But I, I would say, in general, if you're having to take the airplane, it's probably not going to have the outcome that you want. Now, what was, it, what was the second question? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we, are, we are required to, when, when we determine that the, the outcome is not going to be satisfactory, we're, we're required to tell them at that point. Now, the, we, can, we can continue. We can t continue the check ride knowing that the outcome is going to be an unsatisfactory, but we can basically check off the other maneuvers. My experience is that it doesn't go well. They, they told us in DPE school that sometimes that the applicant all of a sudden just goes, ah, and they relax, and they do really well at, at, for the rest of the ride, but that has not been my experience. They usually, if they, if they try to continue... It, things just go from bad to worse. But I'll let these guys expand on that. Yeah, I actually had exactly the opposite experience yesterday, as a matter of fact. I was doing a check ride. I won't tell you where or who, but I was doing a check ride yesterday. And, uh, and the guy got lost on his cross country. Totally, totally unaware of where he was. We ended up down near Seeley when we were supposed to be in near Brenham. And he just not a clue. And I let, I mean, I let him go. I, I, I asked him some questions, you know, where, you know, maybe there's some ways that we can um, get a little bigger picture about where we were trying to get him to climb. Um, I said, or, you know, are there any landmarks around here that you can readily identify? And he finally realized the Brazos River. And he said, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to, I'll follow the Brazos River to the destination. And he turned south. And I guess say, we ended up in Seeley. Um, and, uh, and I said, so you do, do you know where you are? He says, yeah, that's Belleville right down there. Okay, um, which way are we flying? He said, well, we're flying west. I said, is there any road going west out of, C out of, out of Belleville? No. Well, then where are we? He, I, I don't know. I said, well, I tell you what, we're going to have to repeat this particular part of the check ride, but if you want to continue, let's go ahead. And frankly, he did just fine. He, he, he kind of pranged the soft field landing. We're going to repeat that again, but he, did, he just did fine. So my, my experience hasn't always been that way. Um, I have an experience with uh, someone that, um, well, the, if this happened a, quite a few times, actually. Um, they'll come in to land, but they'll be doing about 100 
miles an hour or knots or something in a little Cessna 150 or 172. And I know they're really nervous, so I'm trying to cut them a break. And I'll say, hey, what, what's your normal approach speed? But literally, I have had people tell me, oh, I like to be fast. I'm like, 100's a little excessive, don't you think? So I sometimes, actually, I can't help it, but I'll just start laughing so hard that, I, I mean, I always, it's like, okay, this ride has got to end, you know? But I, that, this stuff really happens. And so it's important, you know, CFIs, to make sure your um, students can handle a little bit of stress. Um, I recommend that you always send them on a face check or something so that um, they're used to, like, the pressure of somebody new. So. Any other questions out here? Let's go. Come on. All right, here we go. Yeah, hi. My name is Travis. Um, good to see you all. Good to be here. Um, I'm prepping for an instrument ride coming up, um, and I was just curious if you had any just general advice for instrument students, like uh, maybe some pitfalls or, um, like, I've heard of the $500 button. Can you explain what that is? I'll, I'll do uh, – I got the uh, $500 switch um, is the switch that if you have a GPS, you toggle between GPS mode and VOR mode. It's, it'll say uh, v, V-Lock. And if you forget that switch, you're definitely going to fail your check ride. So watch out for that. Um, I don't know. On, on instrument check rides, I look for does the person know every altitude, like the Aroka? What does it guarantee you? The MEA, what does it guarantee you? And you should at all times know and how to defend yourself, how you know you're not going to hit something. So that's what I look for. I would say on an instrument check ride is, is knowing your equipment and your airplane. Um, you know, a lot of these airplanes have a lot of automation and people, they're not really familiar with them. If, if, first of all, if it's in the airplane, we're required to test the applicant on it. So if you've got an airplane that's got an autopilot, we're required to see you use the autopilot. And I, I see lots of people on airplanes with autopilots that go, oh, I don't ever use that. My instructor never showed me how to do it. I said, well, that's, 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 that's not good right there. Because um, an autopilot's a great thing. Now, we're, I'm not going to let you use it for 100% of an instrument check ride, but, yeah, as you're setting up and uh, you're trying to read that approach play, yeah, that's, that's what the autopilot is there for. Use it. Um, but but what, I, what I also see is, is the transition from the approach to the landing. And, and Wanda talked about coming in too fast. Typically, you know, in the pattern uh, in, in Warriors 172s, our approach speed is around 65 knots, something like that. Typically, the approach speed that we fly in instrument approaches is 90 knots, typically, okay? Well, you got to get from 90 to 65, okay? And in probably most of your instrument training, you don't really land out of an instrument approach except for maybe that last one. You go out and maybe do three, four approaches, and you're going to go missed approach, missed approach, missed approach. Well, 90 knots is a really nice speed to go do a missed approach, but 90 knots is not a very nice speed to land the airplane. So the transition from um, being under the hood or, or in, in the clouds to the visual is, is something that I see. 
Yeah, we really have become children of the magenta line. We really have. And on uh, situational awareness is, is, a, is a huge issue. So on, on one of my check rides, and I suspect on, on these as well, uh, you're going to lose the moving map at some point and for some period of time. And you better know where you are because I'm not going to give it back to you right away to find yourself. So anyway, word of the wise. Thanks. Any other, one more here? I remember on my last check ride, uh, the DPE took my logbook, and he was just looking at it for, and I was so nervous. What are you looking for? What, what, because I, you know, everything was in their tab. What do you guys look for in a logbook when you start the check ride off? I'm looking for reasonableness. Um, yeah, I'm looking that you've, you've met all the requirements. Let's say for a private, okay, you're coming in, you got a 48 hours, you got a three hours a night, you got a three hour, hours of instrument time. Um, five hours of solo, uh, yeah, five hours of solo cross country, three hours of dual cross country. So I'm going through and I'm, I'm looking for all that. Um, I'm also looking for the long cross country. You got to have a leg over uh, 50 miles in there. So I'm plugging it in, in four flight. I'm saying, okay, did from Hooks to Conroe, that's 17 miles. That doesn't meet that. Um, and, and a lot of times I see the same cross-country flights, so I know if they've gone from here up to um, Lufkin or something, I know that meets the requirement. I know the night cross-country that most people like to do is from here down to Galveston. I know that meets the requirement. Real, real quick question on top of the question. How many of those times that people had something tabbed out was it not, did not meet the standard? Um, more times than you'd think. Um, you know, you... you uh, uh, 2.9 of night. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the, the, maybe not so much that because there's usually a night column. But the one thing, one column that you don't have in there is a solo cross-country column. You got a solo column, you got a cross-country column, but you don't have a solo cross-country column. So that's something you have to go in and actually dig in and make sure that they've got that. And a lot of times it's a, they've, they've logged it wrong. Okay, well, here's a cross-country. I went from Hooks to College Station to Brenham and back, and they did not put it in the cross-country. Okay, well, we can fix that. That's easy. Um, but um, those, are the, those are the things I'm looking for. Yeah, same thing, but, it, uh, but I'll add this, total up your columns on every page and carry them forward. I can't count the number of times I've seen a logbook that every, it's, everything's penciled in, first of all, it's not in ink, it's penciled, and it's not totaled, or, or just sloppiness, things are crossed out, and uh, just sloppy logbooks, my antenna goes up when I see a sloppy logbook. So remember, this is a legal record that you're signing. You're attesting the fact that you did these things. And if your goal is to go to the airlines at some point, trust me when I tell you, I mean, these guys know better than I do because I don't have one minute of turbine time in my logbook. Um, the airlines are going to look at that stuff, and they're going to parse it detail by detail. Am I right? I, um, I was flying with a guy who happened to do interview, interviews for United Airlines and they were interviewing someone and he was going through his logbook and he saw an airplane that um, he knew. He knew the airplane. It was a twin Cessna and he felt like something was not going. He, he, he felt like the, uh, the 
guy applying for the job wasn't being honest, and the guy had a ton of time in this particular airplane, and the guy knew the owner of the airplane, and he said he texted him right there. He said, hey, you know this guy? He said, I've never heard of him. And uh, he called him out right there. He said, uh, I know the owner of this airplane. He said, you, he doesn't know you. And the guy just went, uh, uh, well, he didn't get the job. Um, I'm looking for, uh, like they said, just making sure that they meet the requirements to take the test. Um, I am thinking of a story that uh, once I went to do a check ride on an applicant and the someone at the flight school got a hold of me ahead of time and said, yeah, be careful, this person's really been a problem child. And I, I kind of thought, hey, you shouldn't warn the examiner ever about the applicant, that's not fair. But I went into this check ride with an open mind trying to figure out why would they say that about this person. I took one look at this person's logbook and I immediately knew the problem. It's like day one, lesson one, they went actual in the clouds for like an hour. I'm like, nobody does that at all. And the whole first page of, of the student's logbook had hours and hours of actual instruments. And there never ever in my 30 years of teaching have I ever taken a brand new student in the clouds. It's just not the thing to do. So I immediately went, went to that flight school owner and I told them, hey, here's your problem. You have instructors that are literally not following any uh, syllabus that makes sense at all. So I, I just look for things like that that don't make sense with the training program and stuff, so. Other questions, one more, we got time for about three more questions. One more down here. Yeah, Pat kind of touched on it. Um, when I started flying, uh, GPS and general aviation didn't um, exist. So nowadays when people are flying and it's a lot of GPS and stuff like that, when you give them a check ride, can students use that? I'm just curious on how that works with, or is it still pilotage and VORs and look at And I'll add to that, can we, can we use ForeFlight on our check ride? That's a common question we get. So uh, they have to show that they can use all equipment, but they have to show that they know how to do pilotage and dead reckoning. And so if they're tending to rely on like their GPS a lot, I tend to just shut that down and just say, okay, you lost this, now what are you gonna do? Um, so they, they have to know how to use everything. And the VOR, they have to, um, I've, I have had maybe a half a dozen applicants not pass their check ride because they didn't know how to use the VOR, let's say. Um, so yeah, they have to know how to use everything. And we can use ForeFlight. And ForeFlight, yes, you can use that. Um, paper charts or ForeFlight, uh, whatever you bring to the check ride, make sure you know how to use it because it's real obvious if you're using ForeFlight on your check ride and you don't know how to use it. It's sad because it's like you should have just showed up with your paper chart and I'm sure you would have done really well with it. So just stick with what you're used to. Any other questions out here? Any other questions? How about if I give you a t-shirt? Anybody want to ask a question now? Come on, two more questions. 
All right, go ahead. I'll bring it to you again. <laughs> um, so this is just a random question. So for instrument check rides, it's obviously important to check your instruments to make sure they're working properly. Do you all look for RAIM checks in the check rides for instrument? Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, we'll talk about that in the ground portion. And um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I ha have them do it so much in the airplane, but we, I, I have them talk about it and understand what it is. And more importantly, what indication we'd have in our airplane, whatever equipment we have, if, if we didn't have the proper um, satellite coverage. I can't add anything to that. It's exactly the same. This is the rain check question. Uh, yeah, I'll, um, most of the planes have WAS nowadays, so I don't get very many applicants that are trying to do a rain check in the aircraft, but it's nice when they acknowledge rain. Um, like when you're shooting a and a, a GPS approach, an RNAV approach, it's good if the applicant is pointing out the different signals that they're getting from their GPS, like uh, if it's green and if it says LPV, it's good that they're acknowledging stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, and it's good that they talk about RAIM. On the instrument check rights, are you typically seeing LPV approaches instead of ILS? Are you perfectly fine if they demonstrate an LPV GPS approach instead of the ILS, or are you consistently looking to go to an airport where there's an actual ILS? And then secondly, with the technologically advanced aircraft, they have more tools like a flight director. We mentioned the autopilot before, but what about the flight director? Are you okay with them leaving that on all the time and having that just point them into a hold entry and into into a, an approach or are you having them shut off the flight director? At this point, most of them don't have the extra time to set you know, the altitudes and headings, so we don't see that a lot. But for example, I flew with someone yesterday who owned his own airplane and it had all that automation and I could see him just, you know, just following the, the flight director through a check ride. So um, first question about the ILS versus LPV approach. I do whatever's the quickest and easiest for the scenario for the day. Um, for instance, a lot of times it's dictated by the aircraft they bring. If they don't have a WAS-equipped aircraft, then we have to go find a, an ILS. Um, so that'll make the decision. Uh, if I happen to be at an airport that has an ILS, I like to shoot an ILS. Um, but I don't go out of my way to find an ILS if it's going to take a lot more time. And let's see, the, uh, the second one about the flight directors and the sophisticated aircraft. Um, my philosophy is if they have a sophisticated aircraft and they don't know how to use it, it's more dangerous or hazardous than not even having that aircraft. So, for instance, if I have somebody that has their flight director going, but it's not programmed correctly and it's giving them um, contradictory information, and if they don't realize how bad that is to have the bad information coming at them, I, those people, I usually don't pass them because I feel like they have the plane already and it's very sophisticated. They're going to load up their family and go like the second you sign them off. 
And the, those are the people that, um, for sure, they just need more training. And uh, yeah, so I watch out for stuff like that. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add about the ILS. In a perfect world, I'd like to do an ILS, but if the winds are howling out of, I mean, our, our closest ILS around here is Conroe, and it's to 1-4, but if the winds are out of the north, um, they may allow us to do an ILS to the wrong runway. Um, they may not. Uh, so in that case, we have to either go, uh, and at that point, you've got to commit to either College Station or down to Sugar Land, um, and it, it adds quite a bit of time to the check ride. So if it is a WAS airplane, we do have that option of doing an LPV approach. But I, I agree with her about the technology. You, you, you got to be able to use it. Um, and um, I, I, I've seen so many people on check rides in really nice, fancy airplanes, and, and they're, they're trying to use an autopilot, and they're just sitting there, and they're going, it's not working. Not working, and I'm 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 over here. I'm saying, just turn it off and fly the airplane, but they don't, they don't, and then we get into a very undesirable situation. And you know, in the debrief, it's like, why didn't you just shut it off and fly the airplane? Well, I didn't think you wanted me to do that. I go, well, I wanted you to safely accomplish this approach. Um, have I ever had something programmed wrong? Yeah, I have. I have, um, but fly the airplane. Yeah, most do, I think most applicants are, are waiting for us to say, it's okay if you do this or if you, it's, you shouldn't do that or something. Oh, we can't do that. We're just, we're observers. And I tell every applicant, I said, PIC, you've heard this before, PIC stands for pilot in command, not passenger in crisis. And fly the airplane. Fly the airplane like I was your sister, brother, you know, significant other, your boss, whatever, uh, and, and that's who's in the right seat. You have to make those decisions accordingly. So with regard to the flight director, uh, for me it'll be a mix. You can use the flight director some of the time, and some of the time I'll ask you to turn it off. Um, and as far as the ILS goes, if we've got one fairly close by, just like you guys, I, I would prefer to do the ILS, but if we have to do an LPV, that's okay too. Okay, we're about to wrap up the show. We got about ten minutes left. I wanted I saved one last question uh, that I'd like each of you to take a couple seconds to answer. What, what's the one thing you guys have seen a lot of good and a lot of bad? What's the one thing that pilots, non-commercial pilots, should focus on in their training to become a better pilot? What's the you say systems, but what what's the thing that we should all be doing? What's the golden nugget you would pass on to all the listeners? I, I would say big picture. Make sure you have the big picture. Um, uh, you know, what, what's our goal today? Um, are, are we just going out to go for a little, little airplane ride, or are we really trying to get somewhere? But um, um, I, don't, I don't know if that's a very good answer. I, I'm, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass the mic to Pat, and I'm going to be thinking about this, and I'll, I may say what he said. But anyway, so here, here you go. I'll try to make it pithy then if you're going to repeat what I said. Uh, stay ahead of the airplane. You know, there's that old cliche about don't, don't let the airplane get to where, you know, where you aren't 10 minutes ahead of it or something along those lines. But it's true. Stay ahead of the airplane. And the other thing that I see a lot on check rides is, is applicants, just, they just land too fast. 
they're, they're touching down and the airplane's still fine. If I was in teaching mode during a check ride, if I was actually in teaching mode, what I would do is I'd reach it back and pull back on the yoke a little bit, and, and, and I guarantee you 90% of the time we would take right back off again. So you got to slow down. You got to be, you should ring out every single knot uh, that you can possibly ring out of that airplane before you let it touch down. Just don't let it touch down. But the big picture, like Wally said, uh, stay ahead of the airplane and, then, and, and don't land too fast. Okay, I thought of something. Um, when I was a, a young pilot, my father said to me one day, he said, what are you doing when you're putting the seatbelt on? And, and I, I looked at him like, well, what do you mean? He said, you're strapping the airplane to your back. You're strapping the airplane to your back. You are flying the airplane. You're in control of the airplane. And a lot of times you hear applicants say, well, the airplane just did it. Well, no, the airplane just didn't do it. Okay. You, you made that airplane do what it do. So you're, you're the boss. So fly the airplane. I like that one. Strap the airplane on. Um, the thing, the advice I would give people is to everything you do, whether it's your airplane or, you know, the day before the flight, um, or if you're flying is what I meant to say, is uh, look for risk, whether it's, oh, I'm going to oversleep and then I'm drive real fast to the airport. Oh, that's a risk right there. Um, look for anything that's a risk to the safety of your, your day and try to mitigate it somehow. So, um, you know, just whatever it happens to be. You know, I, I get a lot of people that, just always load their plane full of fuel. And it's like, hey, it's not always good to have full fuel. Like, think about this. Just try to um, look at everything and say, is there a risk right now that I'm seeing? And then what would you do? That's my advice. Yeah, I like Wanda's a lot. As a flight school owner who hears a lot of student pilots standing up front asking me to change my wind minimums so they can get out there and get one more hour of cross-country done, uh, I don't take chances, please. Um, Pat, Wally, Wanda, thank you so much for joining us today and being on a live episode of Behind the Prop. With that, we'll say thanks, fly safe, and stay behind the prop. <laughs>